I'm going to be continuing the series that we're doing on biblical identity. And I really just want to commend um, Ed last week, who did such an amazing job. And I really want to encourage you, if you, if you weren't here last week, um, to get online and either watch on YouTube or listen to the podcast. Ed did such a brilliant job of thinking about how we are shaped by our culture. All of us come from different backgrounds and how that impacts on us as Christians. And, and it's kind of a filter through which we live our lives. And it was really very, very powerful. And I thought it did, uh, did an amazing job. So please catch up. And I'm going to do another aspect this morning of our biblical identity. And that is that the Bible says we are disciples of Jesus. I just want to look a little bit this morning at what discipleship is. What does it mean to be a, a disciple? And then next week, I want to look um, at baptism, that part of our identity in, in, as believers is that the Bible says we should be baptized. Why does it say that? Why is it so important? And what does that mean? So those are the two things I'm going to look at over the next couple of weeks. But I'd like to start in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. You probably know the scripture well if you've been a believer for a while. <clears throat> Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very ends of the age. This is the Great Commission, Jesus speaking here. Now, I think there's, uh, there's an underlying very, very important question that if we are uh, instructed by Jesus to make disciples of other people, we should know what it means to be a disciple ourselves. If we're going to multiply what it means to be a disciple, then surely the, place to, the question to ask is, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? And so, I mean, a basic sort of standard definition of a disciple is someone who adhe adheres to the teaching of another person. They are a follower of that person. They are a learner of that person. And um, you, the, the, the language is you take upon yourself, you take up the ways of that person that you are following. Applied to Jesus, it means that we are trying to live like Jesus and think like Jesus and be like Jesus by the power of the Spirit. That, that's what it means because of the great, amazing grace of God that's touched our hearts, transformed our lives. We want to conform our life and the way that we think and the way that we speak to the image of Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 1 and Acts 26, 28, the translations actually use the, the, the language is we become little Christs. That's what Christian means. It means a little Christ. Uh, not a Christ, a Savior, but in the image of Christ. We are little Christs, Christians. That's what the, the, the word actually means. And so I want to look. I mean, all of the Gospels are so important in giving us a picture of who Jesus is. But I'd like to just select three pictures of Jesus in John's gospel that help us understand what a disciple is, all right? And they're complementary, they work together. I'm sure you can think of others, but um, here they are. And they are simply this, that a disciple, first of all, is a worshiper. Second, a disciple is a servant. And third, a disciple is a witness. And so I'm going to start in John 4. If you have that, uh, your Bible on your phone, if you'd like to go there, you know the story well. This is the first picture that John gives us of discipleship. And you know that Jesus meets a woman at a well, and she's Samaritan and he's Jewish, and they start talking about worship. 
And she says, oh, no, you Jews say we need to go up to Jerusalem, but we say we need to go up uh, to uh, the mount. And uh, they start, she tries to have a conversation with Jesus about worship. And what does Jesus do? He deflects from all of the, um, the discussion, and he hones in on a very simple thing, and he says, what the Father is seeking is worshipers. doesn't matter where you worship. It doesn't matter the place, what the Father is looking for worshipers, and he says, those that worship in spirit and in truth. And that's what Jesus hones in on. And so, if we are truly disciples and follow Jesus, we must worship Jesus in spirit and truth, because he is the great mediator. That's what 1 Timothy says, he mediates between us and God, and also because he himself is God. And that's why we worship Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, right at the very foundation, our foundational perspective as Christians, before we do anything, before we are anything, before we bring our gifts, before we do anything in the kingdom, we are first and foremost worshipers. That's it. We are worshipers. And we worship through the whole of our lives with all that we have. And so I want to encourage you this morning as we think about becoming disciples and what that means, that the greatest joy that we have is to reflect back to Jesus the glory of who He is through worship. And that's why it's so beautiful to worship together. Because what are we doing? We're all together reflecting back and saying, Jesus, you are above all things. You are who you say you are. My heart is connecting with everyone else in the room to say, you are glorious. You are great. You are amazing. You are above all things. That's the primary thing you are called to as a disciple is to first be a worshiper. First be a worshiper. And you know, I would put it to you that nothing in our uh, more, in our pluralistic society irritates people that want to be exclusive worshipers of Jesus. Why do I say that? Well, lots of people are cool with Jesus, aren't they? Uh, at least their notion of who Jesus is, they're quite cool with that. So they're cool with Jesus except for the exclusivity part. Yeah? But they're cool with Jesus as the great moral teacher the guy, you know, Mr. Nice Guy, everyone likes Jesus, the nice guy, the moral teacher. Uh, especially I've seen this in, in our culture at the moment. The judge, let you not be judged, motivational speaker, Jesus. And that's the tone of our culture. Don't judge anyone. Love people. Come on. Jesus loved everyone. Isn't it? Everyone loves that picture of Jesus, the great motivational speaker. Don't judge others in case you self be judged. And of course that is true. Everybody's favorite. But it's not the picture that Jesus gives of himself in the Scripture. It's a far, far cry from how Jesus reveals himself. And we are called to be disciples of a biblical Jesus, not a Jesus made in our image or our cultural image. We are called to worship the true God, Jesus, as he reveals himself to us in the Scripture. And we are to become disciples of him, not disciples of of a God made in our own image or our own thinking. And so it's a great challenge. So that's the first thing I want to say to you is, as a disciple, your first calling is to worship Jesus with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, all of your might. Amen? Secondly, the second picture that Jesus gives of what it means to be a disciple is that it's a picture of service. Disciples are servants. Now this is a particularly beautiful picture. You know it well. Again in John, um, it says that after the meal, and the, I found this so 
it just whacked me in my head when I was preparing. I was reading the scripture again. And do you know, it says, it says this as it starts the, the, the portion. It says, Jesus, after supper, knowing what was in the heart of Judas, who was to betray him, took a towel and a bowl, and he washed the disciples' feet, including Judas. Ah, man, I, I hadn't seen that before. Uh, isn't that beautiful? <laughs> Jesus gives himself for all, even for the one who's to betray him. He says, this is what you're to do for each other. And he comes and he takes a bowl, he puts, he puts a towel over his, his, um, his arm, and he washes every one of his disciples' feet, including the one that was going to betray him. And you know Peter, you know Peter's always the kind of like, the passionate sort of acting before he thinks kind of guy. And he gets up and says, Jesus, I, I'm not, you can't, no, you, you're God. I mean, it's, it's a bit odd if we think about it that we call to worship Jesus. And at the same time, uh, Peter's kind of realizing that. No, no, God, I want to, Jesus, I want to worship you, the great king. But at the same time, the king comes and washes our feet. It's like a, it's a great tension in, in that, isn't it? And that's what, what Peter is, is um, kind of reflecting. And, and he says, no, you can't wash my feet. You, you're Lord. You can't wash my feet. And Jesus says in John 13, verse 8, if, you, if I do not wash you, you have no part of me. Isn't that amazing? Jesus, the humble servant, coming, not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for sinners. And this is the other thing I wanted you to see. As a servant, Jesus says to his disciples this instruction, you must watch each other's feet. You must wash each other's feet. And by this love that you have as servants of Jesus, as disciples of Jesus that wash, wash each other's feet, the world will know that you are my disciples because you love each other like this. And so, my friends, my primary thing I want to say about being a servant is it is about a family thing. It is a family thing. We are called to love the world, absolutely. We are called to be good news to the world. Let us do good to everyone, says Paul in Galatians, verse uh, 10 of chapter 6. And then he qualifies and he says, but especially to those in the household of God. Especially to other Christians. You get what, get, get what I'm saying? That's why church community is so important. It's, it's how you work out love for each other in a tangible way. It's great that we saved into the body of Christ, into the universal church, but we become disciples as we lay down our lives and we serve each other. And I want to challenge you, in one church, you serve each other. I don't mind if it's this church or another church, but you serve in one church. You lay down your life for one community. Not, oh, I'll go to the worship in this church because that's cool. And I sometimes like the preaching in this church, so I'll go there because that's cool. And I like the fellowship in this group because it's small and I can know everybody, so I'll go there. No, no, no. You work it out as a disciple of Jesus in one family. That went down well. One family where people can know you and love you and you open your hearts to them and they to you and you can get to know each other. Do good to everyone, but especially to those in the household of God, into the family that you are called. And I'm afraid lockdown has made it especially difficult for people because now it is like, well, I'll watch online and I'll get the worship from here and I'll get the preaching from here and occasionally I'll go for coffee so I get some fellowship here. That is not biblical Christianity. 
That's not biblical discipleship. As good as the preacher is in Los Angeles in the mega church, he doesn't know you. He's not going to sit across the table and disciple you and challenge you and say, my friend, I love you and I know your life, and actually that's not good. Please change that. Let's talk about it. Let's have some honest conversations with each other. And yet, in the last two years, that's what it's become. The local church needs to become the hope of glory again for every community. Come on. The local church is the hope of glory for God's people. And I'd, I want to say, I'm not just talking about this church. They're beautiful expressions of church all over this city. But find your family. Find your family and challenge others to find their family so they can become disciples, not consumers. Come on. Let's do good to everyone, but especially to those in the household of God. And, I, you know, Jesus is pointing all his disciples to this love one another thing, that he, the, commandment, the commandment to love one another comes directly after when he's washed their feet. And you know it well, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. You can see it in John 13, 1 John 3, 23. And this is the distinctive that God, Jesus says, is going to define us from every other kind of person in the world is that genuinely in the church we really do love each other and we're prepared to have those difficult conversations and we're prepared to not get offended and we're prepared to walk with people over the course of their lives and so to be a disciple of Jesus means first of all to worship him exclusively secondly to become a servant like him and that means to look to the needs of our brothers and sisters even when it's inconvenient to ourselves and um giving ourselves in acts of love, even when it flip-flops against the social order of the day or the cultural expectation of the day, which normally is meet my needs. I am the center of the universe. Little kids learn that quite quickly, don't they? When they're two or three, they start throwing tantrums. Why? Because at the, up till that point, they have been the center of the universe. And you have been caring for them and feeding them and changing their nappies. And suddenly, it's like they have to realize they fit into a context that where they are not the center of the universe. There are actually other people. And that's why they th throw tantrums and kind of get upset with their moms and dads when they're going through the terrible twos or whatever they are called these days. But it makes means that we, even when the expectation of culture is different, we give ourselves in acts of love to each other. Thirdly, disciple means witness. So worshiper, servant, witness. We saw it in that scripture. Um, this time in the, in, the, in the Great Commission, he says, as my Father is sending you, um, as my Father sent me, even so I am sending you. So for every one of us, as a disciple of Jesus, we are on a mission. And that means in the, bro in the broadest sense that all of us are called to, in some way, point other people to Jesus in a missionary kind of way. Uh, we, are, we are empowered by the Spirit. We are envisioned by the Spirit to do that, to do all that we can to help others to see who Jesus is. And that's um, what Jesus says his ultimate purpose was in coming, was to reveal God the Father to us so we could know him. And so our responsibility as disciples of Jesus is to do all that we can to point people to Christ. Uh, so, I mean, everyone's an evangelist. Come on, everyone, you are going to evangelize about something. 
So let's, let's talk about Jesus to other people in every conversation that we can have. And we know that this involves uh, determination. This involves perseverance. It says of Jesus that he determined, he set his, his forehead like flint to go to Jerusalem and to do what God called him to do. He embraced the cross. Luke 9, 51, Isaiah 57, it says that. Unswervingly, he kept to this purpose that God had for him. And in the same way for you and I, it's going to involve determination and perseverance and purpose to keep on pointing people to Jesus. I would like to at some time talk about why it's so hard to make disciples, but I, I can't do that today. But we want to point people to Jesus, and we want to seek back to the Father, worshiping servant-hearted missional people. That's what we call to do, every one of us, as a disciple of Jesus. And so I want to just land on this third kind of concept here, but to make disciples involves a cost. Luke 9, verse 23, says this, Jesus said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, take up their cross, and follow me, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, and whoever wants to lose his life for me will save it. So we all call, all of us as believers, to follow Jesus, to worship Him, to take up our cross, to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, with all that that means in terms of what we believe, how we pray, how we give, how we love, how we serve, all of that is discipleship 101, basic discipleship. Becoming a disciple of Jesus means I love, I believe, I pray, I give, I serve. This is the basic ABC of being a disciple, according to what we've just seen. Becoming a worshiper of Jesus myself, becoming a server of others because of Jesus myself, becoming a giver in my time, my talent, every way, in my spiritual practices, in how I pray, how I think, becoming more like Jesus, discipleship 101 for every single believer. And then when I look at Jesus, I see this um, really amazing kind of combination. So he was both a person that loved the big crowds, and at the same time, he withdrew from people when he needed to. And then the third aspect of Jesus' life and ministry is he gave himself to a particular group of pe people in a particular way. And that's a great challenge. And I wanna, the heart of what I want to try and get all of us to see this morning is that I would love for you and for every single person in the, in the church that you are giving yourself to disciple someone else. Yeah, whether it's two or three people that you're giving yourself in a systematic way to encouraging someone else in this church community, standing with them, praying with them, meeting with them regularly, encouraging them, lifting them up. We are all called to make disciples of other people. And so we, this kind of picture of Jesus uh, that I've painted, it says that uh, in Mark chapter 31, Mark 1, 35, that he withdrew alone to pray. In Mark 2.13, it says he preached to the masses, to the crowds. Then we have this curious kind of uh, thing that he did with his disciples, where he calls a few and he says, follow me and I'll make you fishes of men. So he does that as well. And then he gives himself to these people and he seems to confuse them, these 12, because he tells them these riddles, he tells them these parables. Uh, they're kind of enigmatic stories, like, well, what are you really talking about, Jesus? And then he has to take them away after he's told the parable to explain what the parable means. If you read the Gospels, that's what happens all the time. And they kind of, he gives the parable and his disciples say, Jesus, what on earth are you talking about? Jesus, what does this mean? And then he says, are you so dull? 
Can you not see? And he helps them understand what he wants to say through those amazing stories. And so I love Mark, 30, Mark 3, 14, because it says this, that he appointed 12, he called 12, that he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. Be with him. Discipleship is about being with other people. Just as Jesus called to himself, we need to call some to ourselves to be with them, to share our lives, to share Jesus so they can become to know who Jesus is. And so he, he kind of spends the bulk of his ministry, Jesus, with 12 people passing on what his kingdom was to those 12 and entrusting those 12 to go and do the same and to multiply it into the world. Quite an amazing, amazing trust that he places in them. So even Jesus, who was perfect, who was the Son of God, he is consumed with being alone with his Father. He is concerned with his own life, his own holiness, his own spirituality, but at the same time, he's concerned horizontally this way with other people. He is giving himself away at the same time. And so, of course, our lives as Christians, it is about our personal relationship with Jesus. It is about our personal discipleship, that we ourselves are becoming more like Christ. But at the same time, it is also about us giving ourselves away to other people and loving them and helping them and spending time with them and journeying with them through life. That's what discipleship is. And so we have to count the cost of what that means and what that's going to determined for us. And so I'm hoping this morning that this short message is going to serve as a, like a catalyst in our lives, that all of us will think about what Jesus calls us to do. And I think all of us know that we should be doing that, that we should be making disciples. But in some ways, we're kind of not very good at it, or we're hesitant to, to do it, because our lives just be, seem to be going in so many different directions. And it's like, we just don't have time or energy or focus to give ourselves to some people. And yet it's the primary thing that God calls us to do, Jesus calls us to do, is to make disciples of others. And I hope it will help you just to think a little bit how you can, in your own life, make some adjustments that you can start giving yourself away to some other people in this church community and helping them on their journey, helping them and become a disciple of Jesus themselves. And I think what I'm trying to say is that our lives at the 21st century, this kind of technological age that we, we live, it's just an age of ceaseless distraction, isn't it? There are so many things that vie for our attention and even though it's obvious that the Bible points us to what we should be doing, it's like we've been carried in every single other direction except towards what the Scripture says we should give ourselves to in terms of our energy. And so I can, I've also seen this. Uh, I mean, I was just thinking in the worship, I've been a Christian for over 40 years now, and I've been leading in the church for over 30 years in different ways. And I've seen this over the years, that there can be a pressure, sometimes a self imposed pressure, often an unspoken pressure in church, in leadership, to execute endless, endless events or strategies to get people to come in through the doors. And uh, those are not bad things in themselves. We need great, we do need good um, events or courses or we want to see the church grow. We don't want to see the church shrink and, and that's a very good thing. But I kind of feel like that sometimes gets in the way of us actually taking time to make disciples of others. Yeah? And so I hope it's going to help us to kind of get the balance right. And so they're not, those are not bad things, but we need to kind of put everything in its proper perspective. And my hope is through 
this morning that God's Spirit through His Word will help us overcome the hurdles that we have. And um, we will start to think about how we can do this better and count the cost of what it means to make disciples of others. And so I want to put it to you that this might seem like a foolish thing. Preaching, the scripture says, through the foolishness of preaching, many come into the kingdom. And I want to say to you, it seems counterintuitive that Jesus would say, if you want to have the most impact, you spend your time with a few, giving yourself in over the course of your life to those few, and that's going to b- b- multiply effectively my kingdom. And what does our culture says? Our culture says, no, you get as many people together in one event as you can, and you have this kind of mass production thing, and that's, that's the glorious church. Do you hear what I'm saying? I'm not quite sure concert events are the glorious church. The glorious church is when the glorious church starts to multiply itself one disciple at a time. Where we give ourselves away to other people. Where we love other people. We say, I'm with you. I'm, I'm going to show you the kindness of God. Come on. And so I don't want to minimize the, the, the corporates that we're coming together. But I want to encourage you that if you take up your cross and you start to follow Jesus and you start to give yourself away. Luke 14, 23. Or any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. There is a cost. There is a cost in our lives to personally become more and more like Jesus. But when I say make disciples, I also want to make this point. I'm not just talking about evangelism or conversion. I mean, people love to say they're evangelists and that they get people saved. That's beautiful. That's a wonderful thing. Jesus doesn't say make converts. He says make disciples. Making a disciple is a very different thing. You are saved instantly. You are baptized instantly. Do you make a disciple instantly? No, we don't make disciples instantly. The scripture gives it to us there. It says, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Teaching takes time. Discipleship requires time. It, it doesn't happen in a moment. Uh, the, the, under, the, the salvation experience, the baptism experience happens in a moment. It's a glorious thing, and we celebrate it whenever it happens. But making disciples takes time and energy and a lifetime of perseverance and not being disappointed and having difficult conversations and challenging people and encouraging people and lifting up their hands when they feel depressed and strengthening their knees. It takes energy by the power of the Spirit to make disciples. Takes perseverance. I want to talk about this some other time, but in 2, 2 Timothy, this beautiful picture, it says, if you want, Jesus says, entrust these things to faithful people that will pass them on to others. And then he gives an example. He says, like a farmer. He says, like a soldier. He says, like an athlete. And those three pictures give us an idea of what it's like to make disciples. You need to be like a farmer, patient. Anyone know any famous farmers? No one knows a famous farmer. Isn't that amazing? Anyone know a famous athlete? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. We know lots of famous footballers, don't we? The primary picture Jesus gives of making disciples is that you are like a farmer. And you know what? A farmer doesn't get any acclaim. No one knows that they are there. They are sowing seeds patiently, diligently, without anyone seeing in the morning, late at night, giving themselves away, many coffees, many conversations. No one knows the discipleship is, is being produced in that person's life. And Jesus says, I want you to be like that, a farmer, like that. 
Uh, no, we want, we want to be the concert worship leader people. Sorry, no offense to, to worship leaders. It's obvious. We want to be the big speaker. So much more cool, isn't it? There's some acclaim. There's some kudos in leading worship for 10,000 people. Jesus says, be like a farmer. <laughs> be like an athlete. Athlete does all the hard work when no one sees. You can have all the desire in the world to be a marathon runner. That's, I used to run marathons. How do you start by running a marathon? You get out of bed in the morning when no one else is looking, when no one else is, everyone else is sleeping, and you start to run. You start to train. When it's cold, when it's hot, early in the morning, late at night, you train, and you train, and you train, and you train, and you persevere when you want to give up. And what happens? In the end, you run the race and you win. That's what it means to make disciples. Persevere. Do the hard yards when no one else is looking. Late in the morning, early in the morning, late at night. Those conversations, those texts, those emails, pointing people to Jesus all the time, pointing, pointing, pointing people to Christ. Being patient. That's what Jesus says we should do. And I'm completely distracted now. Here we go. Let me get back to the scripture. 2 Timothy 2 verse 1. This is the other great, great uh, scripture that I've mentioned already. You, my child, Paul to Timothy, be strengthened by the grace that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what you have heard from me, uh, can I just point you to this little phrase, in the presence of many witnesses, in the presence of many witnesses, we give ourselves to what is heard in public and preached in public to the faithfulness of the gospel that is preached in public. Too many times I've seen this over the years, Someone in the church ends up on this tangent, like believing all this stuff about the end times that's completely weird. And you say, well, how did you, how did you hear about that? How did you land there? Why do you believe the earth is flat and that we're all going to be raptured out of here? How did you get there? And then you hear this, oh, I've been spending time with Mr. X or Mrs. Y, and they've been helping me see these things in the scripture. It's always alone, isn't it? It's always in a little group. It's not in public. Paul says this is true discipleship. You disciples, uh, disciple other people by what you being faithful to what you've heard me say in public in the presence of many witnesses. That's true discipleship, pointing people to the gospel and Jesus, not our pet little theory. And so we take someone away for coffee over months and we try and convince them of our little theory. Come on. No. That's not discipleship. That's discipling someone to your image of what you think the world is, not discipling them towards Christ. In the presence of many witnesses, entrust these two faithful people who will be able to teach others also. Share in the suffering of Christ as a good soldier. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And then the second image that I mentioned, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding. And for me, this has a ripple effect throughout the whole church when we get this into our hearts. And this is the thing I want to land on now in the next 10 minutes. The center of the bullseye, the center of what we're aiming for, always begins in the corporate here like I'm doing right now. 
The Bible speaks about teaching in the New Testament, and it says we need to teach people. And this is a very, very powerful thing that has the, 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 the responsibility for this is people like me who are called to be pastors, elders, and we do this. This is where it all starts, being faithful to the Scripture. Elders, overseers, deacons. All Christians need to be teachers. That's absolutely true. Hebrews 5.12 tells us. But in particular, in the New Testament, in the pastoral epistles, teachers are primarily the elders of the church. Primarily. And we have other people that preach that are not elders. And I see those guys and girls as like impact players. You know, like if you watch the rugby, there's always like someone who comes on in the last 10 minutes with new energy. And they, come, they blitz everybody. Well, we have, we have preachers like that as well. The pastors are, the, the teachers are those that consistently teach the Word of God, line upon line, keep it going, and then you have impact players that come off the bench and boom, they bring some truth, and everyone goes, Chow! that was amazing. Yes? But the primary responsibility is, in fact, 1 Timothy 3 puts it like this, says that those that are elders should be skillful in preaching. Not just kind of make up a message. That's why I don't like to call what we do giving talks. I hate that expression. Oh, I'm going to give a talk today. If you want to hear a talk, go to the lecture hall and hear a talk. I'm not interested in talking. I'm interested in preaching the Word of God as best as I can. And that's what it's about. It's about preaching God's Word. Are they much better communicators than me? Much better talkers than me? You can get, have a TED talk. Go and have a TED talk. But to have someone that preaches to you, that encourages you in Christ, come on. It's about preaching God's Word, being true to the Bible. Oh, I think, you know, it's my opinion that, yeah, I thought about this, and I'd just like to share, maybe if it doesn't offend you too much, just share this. Perhaps it's the truth for you. It's my truth, you know, it's God's truth. No, come on. Preach the Word. That's the first beginning of Discipleship making is preaching God's word. He must hold fully, firmly, trustworthy to the doctrine he has been taught so that he might be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict it. Rebuke people who contradict it. I've started to find courage to disagree with people because there's too much stuff that happens and I'm too polite sometimes. If you see racism, I want to challenge you as a Christian to call it out in the moment and say, my friend, that is not good enough. Oh, it's about the grace of God. We don't, we don't like to talk about politics in our family. Call it out. God so loved the world that he gave his son for all who would believe. Everyone is saved by the same grace. Call it out. And I don't mean that in a hypocritical kind of better than you kind of way. Just like, no, my, no, let's be better than that. Come on, let's conform ourselves to the truth of the gospel, Jesus. And then this, I hope, this will have a ripple effect throughout of the whole church that we will all take on board our responsibility to disciple others. I see it essentially as spiritual parenting. And I don't mean that in a condescending way. I mean that as a father. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful people who will be able to teach it to others. We are parenting each other towards Christ. 
That's what we're called to do. That's what it means to make disciples. And if you look at that scripture, there's four generations. Paul to Timothy, Timothy to faithful people, faithful people to others. Four generations. That's what we're called to do. Make sure you are becoming a disciple yourself so you are faithfully taking on the gospel and passing it on to faithful people who will in turn pass it on faithfully to others. This is what we're called to do. So it's intentionally investing ourselves in a spiritual growth and maturity of a few. And part of that is training them to disciple others who will disciple others who will disciple others. And so, yeah, finally, how do we do that? Well, the content obviously is the gospel. I've been trying to say that. That's what we center on. That's what we pass on to the next generation. Not our quirks, not our, endless, uh, uh, our um, hobby horses, not our personal little pet things. No, the truth of the gospel. The big picture, that's what we pass on to others. And I've said before, in, in public, not these kind of weird coffee room conversations that happen and you think, how on earth did that person end up believing that? Do you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm saying mustn't have coffee. No, of course, I'm saying have many coffees, but make sure you're pointing people to Jesus, all right, when you have your coffee and you're talking about things, not your pet, pet uh, hobby horse. Um, the tent is what? The content is the gospel. The intent is what? Multiplication, not just adding, multiplying. Discipleship is about multiplying yourself in others that will then multiply themselves in others. It's about multiplication. It's about all of us seeing discipleship multiplied. And um, thirdly, the context is relationship. And I just want to land on this. It is time-consuming. It, it does take energy. And sometimes it's like in the moment, you know, so Helen and I, we kind of, uh, we love our phones and we hate our phones. Phones are brilliant, aren't they? But they are so intrusive in another way, aren't they? It's like when you least need it. <laughs> There's some, another text or another phone call. And in those moments you have to say, Jesus, okay, I'm going to give myself to making a disciple of this person now as best as I can. Does that make sense? It takes energy. It takes determination. And as I've said already, books and sermons and converse, uh, con conferences and articles are wonderful supplements to discipleship, but they are not to replace personal one-on-one -on -one discipleship in the local church by people that know you and love you and are wanting the best for your life. Come on, can we at least agree on that? That we can sit across the table from each other and really genuinely talk and have conversations that are sometimes uncomfortable for the sake of Jesus being formed in us. Jesus in us, the hope of glory for the whole world. And so this real life relationship is so vital. And we have to think about what it costs. It does cost energy. It does cost perseverance. It does cost determination to share yourself. And I love Paul's language. Um, he, he talks about, I've shared my whole life with you. That is something of what it means to make disciples of others. Um, this is a message for another day, but I do want to just land on one scripture. Uh, I, love, I love how Paul speaks about the joy of people that is worth the cost it takes to make them disciples. Listen to what he says in 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 6. Now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought to us the good news of your faith 
and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about, about you through your faith. Now we truly live because you are standing fast in the Lord. Isn't that an incredible thing? Paul says that really what motivates him and really what enables him to go through all the tough things that he's gone through in his life, at the end of his life as he writes, writes this letter, it says what, he says, what most inspires me and gives me hope is the fact that you are doing well. That you are doing well, that you are thriving, that you are strong, that actually you're believing Jesus, that you're walking by faith. Isn't that incredible? Of all the things he could have said at the end of his life in ministry, all he says is, I'm so glad that you guys are doing well. That gives me hope, gives me joy to see you doing well. Now we really live because you are standing strong. My friends, that should be the cry of all of our hearts as we give our way, ourselves away to other people. It's worth it to see someone else doing well. It's worth the hours and the coffee and the pain and the perseverance. It's worth it when they start doing well, when their marriage starts getting strong, when their relationships start coming into alignment, when, when they find forgiveness, when they find healing, when they find peace. Discipleship is absolutely worth it. And that's what Paul is saying. Never forget that. Don't so count the costs and say it's too difficult. Remember the glory of seeing other people do well. That's what Paul says should be in our hearts. Now we truly live, now that we see that you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all that the joy that we feel for your sake before our Lord Jesus Christ? Isn't that beautiful? Man, he says, I feel such joy before Jesus when I see you doing well. That brings me such hope and joy. And as we pray most earnestly night and day that we might see your face, see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Man, Paul was an amazing man. And God is calling us to be people like that, that give ourselves away, love others, count the cost, but never let the cost put us off because of the sake of seeing them gloriously do well. And that's my dream for this church, that every one of us would start to disciple others, give ourselves away, so we can see other people do well. And when other people do well, we say, Yes, come on. So cool to see you doing well. It gives me great joy to see you doing well. Full of faith. Going for it in the kingdom. Giving yourself away to other people so that they too can become disciples of Jesus. Amen. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I want to thank you for the call that you gave. Just as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. Now you go into all the worlds, preach the good news, baptize those that believe, make disciples of all nations. Thank you, Lord, for this incredible privilege, this incredible privilege we have to become disciples ourselves, to give ourselves to the right things, and to make disciples of others. Lord, give us courage to preach the gospel through our lives. Every moment, help us to persevere when it's tough. Help us to always keep the joy before us of seeing other people do well. Let that motivate us. Uh, that in those times when we feel like we just don't have the energy or we don't have the capacity, that in those moments we remember 
that there's a great joy that lies ahead as we present people before you and hear your well done, good and faithful servant. You have done what I've called you to do. And so I pray for this beautiful church community. I pray for every single one of us, Lord, that you give us grace, that we find grace for ourselves, that in our own disciplines, our own spiritual life, we would become disciples, not just converts, but disciples of Jesus, little Christians, little Christs that should point people to yourself. And at the same time, that we're determined in our hearts that we do all I can to make disciples of others. Help us, Jesus, in this distracted world that we wouldn't Google ourselves to death, but we'd find life in who you are and what you've called us to do. So I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd come, you'd empower us to live a life like that. In Jesus' name I pray. God bless you. God keep you. God make his face to shine upon you. God give you peace. Have a great week. Disciple someone this week. Have on someone for coffee. Determine in your heart to choose a couple of people that you genuinely have friendship with, that you can want to spend time with regularly, and help them to become more like Jesus. These things you have heard faithfully preached. Give yourself to passing that on to other people. Amen.